Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. So today I have a special episode of Breakthrough for you. Over the past four or five months that I've been doing this show, listeners have been sending me in questions that they have, whether it's for me as a business strategist or coach, or for my guests. So today I decided that this show is dedicated to listener questions. And to help me answer these questions, I've invited Carla Jo Helms from Johto PR Disruptors to join me again on Breakthrough. Carla Jo, thank you so much for joining me again. You are so welcome. I've got my coffee on, very strong. I'm so excited about these questions. Well, I love fielding questions because they're a surprise. You never know what they're going to be. I hope right? I can answer. And I didn't give you any prep beforehand, so it will you be didn't. fun. You didn't. <laughs> this is all spontaneous. So before we get started with our listener questions, um, can you remind our listeners what you do um, as an anti-PR company? Yes, we are an anti-PR agency. Uh, we put our clients on the map, companies that are disrupting the marketplace in tech and healthcare and finance, and they're running up against huge competitors. They're changing the economic landscape. They need to educate their prospective clientele and even legislators on what they're doing and why they're making things better. You know, change disrupts even if it's better. So they need a lot of goodwill support. And we are extremely aggressive. We apply um, crisis management techniques to a proactive PR approach and really get these guys a lot of credibility with influencers and in the press so that they can expand quickly. Amazing. So they've called us the opposite of PR. They've actually dubbed us the anti-PR firm. So we just accepted that moniker and ran with it. Amazing. We talked a little bit about that the last time that we were together. And um, when we go through our listener questions, um, I hope that we'll have some time to circle back to some of those things that we had talked about around how you came to that anti-PR status. Um, Okay. But let's just jump in. So first question um, comes from a listener who says, it's a lot of work to get to six figures. What's the workload at seven? I mean, there's a lot of things that are relieved because you're not the only one wearing 35 hats, right? Um, But there's always new barriers and challenges when you're expanding because you're going into an area that either hasn't been done before or you haven't done it before. And you really do have to, you have a lot of momentum behind you, but you still are starting from scratch in that particular area and you have to kind of go up the ladder. It is easier, but it's still, you know, got its challenges. How about that? Fair enough. Different challenges, right? Different. 
Yes, different. So when did you realize that your company needed to expand and how did you begin that process? From day one. (laughs) So let's talk about that because this question actually comes from someone who just went out on their own, uh, a graphic designer just went out on their own in the last year. So is at that very early stage, but I know her and I know that she's really busy. So what, you know, when you think about from those, from day one, what does that look like to begin that process of expanding right from the beginning? You know, I think you have to make, this is what I did, and I've actually talked to other uh, female business owners and others, but you have to make a really um, honest assessment of your strong points and your weak points. You know, if her strong point is really technical and creative, and her weak point is really um, business processes, right, and business management, um, those are things she's going to have to bone up on, but also get... Um, mentors and other leaders to help coach you. You're still going to have to figure it out for yourself, but um, don't like just flop and, and flounder out there without really making that assessment so you can know where to start. You do have to reach out to others. I think that's hard for strong women. Uh, we were talking about that this morning, right? <laughs> we were. And, you know, it is uh, like I think all of those things. So I think, you know, and, and kind of dovetailing those two questions together, actually, S- about 86% of women owned businesses earn less than $100,000 a year. And I would argue. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So 2% over uh, seven figures and but the lion's share 86% less than 100,000. And so what that means is that most women owned businesses are slogging away truly at the hardest stage. And I and I think that you know, one of the challenges of, of that first stage of growth is you're, you're trying to figure it out. You don't necessarily know all of the answers. You don't have time uh, to do all of the things that you need to do. And you don't necessarily have the money to get help. So one of the things I'm curious about is when you look at that outsourcing or getting that help, when you're at that beginning stage, how do you make those decisions to outsource or to get help when your revenues may not be there yet? How do you, how do you marry those decisions? Um, well, you know, I did this, and I know other people have done that because they recommended it. I looked for resources for startups. You know, in our area, we have incubators, right, that can our incubators are – almost like a co-working space where you can um, go and you can, you know, very cheaply rent space, but you also have a collaborative uh, group where you can find out how to pitch your product or find out about, you know, marketing or, you know, find out about different things that you need to do, right? Uh, Working with independent contractors. That's one thing. A lot of those incubators can be, um, started or uh, supported, right, by your chambers, your chamber of commerce. I think chambers of commerce do really well 
um, with small businesses and also very large businesses, right? Those are the two ends of the spectrum. And they have resources and um, counselors and things like that that can support and help you for a very minimal fee and even free sometimes. So, you know, that's where I would look. Um, they have a lot of bankers on their boards. Um, they have um, attorneys. They have people like that that are really interested in fostering um, businesses. And, you know, they want business too. So if they see someone that is, um, you know, takes initiative, you know, has a good business sense that really wants to grow, they like to help because eventually they might get a loan from you, right? <laughs> or, you know, they might give you a loan, I should say. Yes. <laughs> uh, that would be novel. Um, or, you know, become your business, small business attorney. So those are resources I would look into. Mm, yeah. So another question is, how did growing pains for growth times play out in your business? So was it scary? Was it smooth? Oh, it's uh, scary. <laughs> well, I mean, there are things that are smooth that you know about, right? Like say your graphic designer, she knows how to do her trade. She knows what to do here. She knows, you know, how to meet a deadline. She knows how to make something wow. Um, but I think the scary part, well, not think I know, came in, oh my gosh, we just got this big, like our first big client, we have to make it go right. You know, how, <laughs> how are we going to execute this? How are we going to make it go right? How are we going to meet the deadlines? How are we also going to, um, you know, wow them and re-sign them? You know, all the things that come with, you know, growing a business that you don't know, right? Mm. Um, so the scary part was the, the unknown and the smooth part was things that you did know and you just work on marrying those two, right? And that's why it's really good to get a good assessment of your weak points and your strong points. Because if you can always go back to your strong points, right, and then gather data to handle the scary points, you know, little by little, you'll get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a good point. And I think, too, with that idea around, you know, like the, the growing pains for those growth times, I think part of that is being able to remind ourselves during those hard times of the other difficult things that we've done in the past and that we've survived that so we can likely survive this as well. You know, that's a really good point. I, you know, Sarah, have you ever had something be like land on your plate and you had to figure it out and you had no time to worry about it or go, oh my gosh, if I can do, you just had to get it done. And when you got it done, you looked back and you go, I don't know how I did that. Uh -huh. Right. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, that was my approach in business in the beginning. Um, and then that was a successful action because it, I quit w when you're in those situations, you don't even question yourself because you just have to get it done. There's no room for a negative thought, right? Those situations don't come all the time, but it's a really great mental viewpoint to adopt. And I think women do that really well. Um, because if you're constantly worrying and second guessing, uh, there's more room for error. Yeah. But you know, when you, there's no other option but to make it go right, 
you just make it go right. So apply that, try to apply that mentally in every one of those situations. I, I even have to remind myself of that. Yeah. And that piece around action, that the best thing that we can do for our, our business is focused action and just, just do it. And I think sometimes we overthink, we overanalyze, we worry the what if, we, we play the damaging what if game when sometimes the best thing that you can do is, is just do it and then let the chips fall where they may. Sometimes that is true. Yes. You know, we have, um, I'll give you a little anecdote to that. I don't know if it'll help, but it made me think of this. Um, we have a client that creates uh, simulators for truck drivers that teach them how to drive these big 18 wheelers in all sorts of conditions, right? Like uh, black ice, snow, uh, you know, huge amounts of traffic, uh, cars cutting in front of you and so forth. And it's um, given them such a prediction of what could happen, whereas before they would never get that information unless, or that training unless they were on the road having to figure it out, that it's actually brought women, more women into the trucking uh, hmm. industry, right? And one thing that they told me, by the way, there's like this shortage of truck drivers, 90,000 strong, right? A shortage of truck drivers. So women are going into the field, kind of crazy. Um, but they told me that women like to predict what's going to happen. They like to know before they go that like, so this type of training really facilitates them. That like the mindset of women, they're also 20% better drivers, safer drivers, right? <laughs> but, you know, that goes with business too. Anything that you could do to, you know, uh, get mentoring or read books or uh, get information on how something works, or even just Google it, I swear. Mm -hmm. um, that will give you that uh, data and that prediction piece where you can kind of know before you go, have at least some data um, so that you can work things out. And I think that's um, just something that women hopefully do naturally, but we do it when we, we can't help it, but you should apply that in business. Mm, yeah, all those transferable skills. Okay, so next question. Um, how do you balance your work life and your family life? That's such a great question. I know. How do you do it? <laughs> well, I will tell you how I do it. I don't think about balance um, because balance kind of connotes that idea of, um, you know, being perfectly equal. And when I was in university, I had this, you know, just a really difficult experience. Um, one of my friends um, got sick and, and was dying. And it was my last year of university. And so, you know, it was really a terrible circumstance. And I was meeting with the counselor at school and I was really struggling with like, what do I, you know, how do I manage all of this? And what she said to me was sometimes, most often when you're in university, school gets in the way of life. 
And sometimes life gets in the way of school. And that's where you're at right now. And for you, luckily, it's in your last year of university. You're a good student and your professors will understand that your life is just interrupting. And so I tend to bring that, that has stuck with me for 30 years. And I bring that to work as well. That sometimes life gets in the way of work and sometimes work gets in the way of life. So I don't think about balance. I think about harmony and blend. And... I, so when I think about that, you know, and, and, and the in brackets in this is especially if you have young children, and that is mm-hmm. really challenging. So my biggest piece of advice on that is to go back and listen to um, the breakthrough episode from last week when I spoke with Eve Rodsky, who wrote a book um, called Fair Play, and it's really about um, redistribution of family life and chores and all of the things that go into um, running a household. And redistribution. It, redistribution. I, you know, and it's, it's a really, such a great interview with her and a really interesting So book. what does that mean? I mean, it seems to me like you're telling me, I think we spoke about this before, there is no like static of work-life balance. You're constantly having to juggle it. Sometimes work is more demanding. Sometimes life is more demanding, just like university, right? Isn't that what you're saying? What what did she mean on redistribution? So her whole point is, so women... um, Give it to other people. Yeah. (laughs) Well, women are responsible for about two-thirds of the household tasks. We take care, uh, we do the lion's share of child care, elder care. We do more of the community and and volunteer work on balance. um, That that is what our, our role is. And so what her book, it's actually a game. About yeah. and what it does is allows um, parents or partners, you don't have to be parents, um, to look at what are the ways that we can we can shift that balance so that women are not doing the lion's share of the things at home, which will allows us to um, to spend more time on our business at our job, or quite frankly, doing the things that um, we love to do and make us who we are, whether that's learning how to play the guitar or going for a walk or getting your nails done. Making sure we get our workouts or getting our nails done. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, um, it's it's so good. It's definitely worth um, either reading or listening to. I'm going to take us to break and uh, we'll keep answering listener questions when we come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. 
To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to Sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. Uh, I'm Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm here with Carla Jo Helms, and we are answering listeners' questions. So, Carla Jo, I I asked the question um, from one of our listeners around, how do you balance work, uh, life, and family life? And Carla Jo flipped that around on me, so now I'm flipping it back. What does that look like for you in terms of the work, balancing uh, work and, and, and family? You make a very good political reporter. You always get the question answered. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have learned the hard way that there's never a balance. Like, it's not something that just appears. Like, you all of a sudden get there. You constantly have to work at it. Um, it's a constant create. You have to stay in the present to do it. You have to make choices. You have to make sacrifices. You make sacrifices for certain things to be with your family. You make sacrifices for certain things to be with your business. And you constantly have to juggle that, um, and which can seem exhausting until you realize that this is your hat, right? And this is just all part of the create. Um, and you just try to do what's the greatest good for all concerned. Right? And if you do that and you're more than 50% right all the time, then, you know, you won't die. <laughs> I, I remember being on a panel one time and the moderator asked, there was four, three or four women, four of us, three of us on that panel. And they, they asked us the same question. The women in the, in the audience asked us that question. And, um, I found it very interesting that the women on my panel had not done that. They had sacrificed so many things for their, for their business that that was the thing that they regretted. Mm. Um, And I also remember being on another panel, successful women and uh, the other panelists had said that too. Right. Um, And that just made such an impact on me because these were older women who had been extremely successful. Um, and that was the one thing that they regretted. And I thought that was a really good takeaway for me and the whole audience is that <clears throat> um, if you don't want to do that, be willing to sacrifice certain things in your business for your family, you know, and vice versa, but juggle it. Just like you said, sometimes life gets in the way. You have to handle that. Sometimes business <laughs> or university uh, is the main track, you know, handle that. Just handle what's in front of you. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also being really intentional and purposeful. So with my clients, I, I, in my, in my business, when I'm not hanging out doing breakthrough interviews, I help women grow their businesses exponentially in less time than they're spending right now. And so a big part of that is a recognition that we're, we want to grow businesses that recognize that we are holistic beings and that we're not creating businesses that suck the life out of us and exhaust us. It's not to say that we don't work hard. It's that we're creating businesses that work for our lives and not 
lives that work for our businesses. And one of the ways, uh, so I have a, a group right now that I'm running called Wolfpack. And in our Wolfpack, one of the things that we do is we have five measures that we that we track, and three of them are business related, and two of them are personal. So really? Think, yeah. So I think that's part of it is we have to put our money where our mouth is. And if we're saying we want to make sure that we've got time and room in our lives for everything, then we have to apply those business measures to it. And I agree. That's super smart. Oh, yes, isn't it? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. No, it is. I mean, you know, you could uh, somewhat treat it like a business. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so next question. Um, how do you structure your days to maximize your productivity? Hmm. Depends on what I'm working on. But um, we have a system in our agency that um, actually one of my executive assistants came up with, which I thought was brilliant. Um, everybody turns in a daily report at the end of the day to their superior, right? And it's just a recap. It's not micromanaging, it's not super detailed, but it's a recap of what they accomplished that day. What were their targets, what they accomplished, um, what they have for their battle plan for the next day that they need to accomplish, you know, to make their goals or whatever. Anything they need coordination on and any wins, right? This is what, you know, this is what happened today. This is great. And um, that became so successful because people knew the whole team you know, in that area, knew what was going on. The, the senior uh, managers, directors knew what was going on. And it also allowed people to recap what they did for that day, you know, where they had trouble, where they need help, where they had wins, what they're going to do for the next day. So they all would come to work, you know, bright and chipper and know what they needed to do. And I thought to myself, why the heck don't I do that? <laughs> I'm like the only one that doesn't do a daily report, right? So I started doing it, um, and it was just like a revelation. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to just not take stuff home at night and know what I needed to do when I walked into the business the next day. It uh, had me recap on my wins. It helped me prioritize for the next day. Um, so it's a little admin exercise that ended up being almost like a lifesaver. Mm. I love that. I do something similar. And uh, it is probably my, my top tip for productivity is that spending that time to, to do that end of day planning. And one of the other things that I think I'm curious if this happens to you that uh, when you then put those things into your mind that so tomorrow I'm going to work on, you know, my marketing plan, or I'm going to work on my finances, or I'm going to do this, um, or, you know, I'm going to spend some time thinking about this person's campaign, that it's like you're preceding your brain and then the ideas, your subconscious just sort of percolates along. So you may have this brilliant idea in the shower or when you're cooking breakfast or on your drive to work. And I, I always have brilliant ideas in the shower. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially when you wash your hair. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I don't know. 
Um, but I think that's part of, it, it's just another uh, side benefit to doing that exercise is it helps sort of, you know, allows your subconscious to have a sense of what it is it's supposed to be working on for the next day. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But it does do that. Yeah, yeah. So other things I, because I actually had these questions, so I wrote down okay. a, couple of, <laughs> a couple of things on this particular question around how to structure your day to maximize your productivity. Uh, I think the other one that's really important is to find that we all have 90 minutes of peak time um, that we are at our best. So you need to find that. And then when you find it, you fiercely protect it. So for me, I'm a, I'm a, a learned morning person. I, I wasn't always, um, but I am a morning person. And so that, that time first thing in the morning is my most effective time. So I make sure that I, if at all possible, I sort of preserve that for the deep work that I need to do. Interesting. 90 minutes, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We all have like... I'm a learned morning person too. I think uh, early bird gets the worm was an old adage that probably had a lot of, uh, you know, experience behind it, right? Mm -hmm. Generations of experience. Um, And it is, it to me is a a highly productive time too. I would have never said that, you know, years ago, but... Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, mine was learned because I had a, what we were so thrilled when my second child started sleeping until five 30. Um, (laughs) 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 Now at 12, it's hard to get him out of bed for school. So the other thing I would say is that find your peace (laughs) time. um, Turn off your notifications. Like yes. there's nothing that sucks the life out of your day more quickly than the bings and the bongs and the text messages and the notifications and the emails. Uh, no, like you won't unless, die. Yeah, um, there are so few of us whose jobs are do or die that likely no one will die if you turn your phone off for an hour and do some deep work. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Okay, so next question. Uh, I love this. Um, what is your best tip for building a rock star team? Oh, that's like one of the boon or banes of a, a business owner's existence. Um, do you know it's like the number two ruin for most businesses? When I say ruin, the thing that plagues them the most. Mm. And doesn't, we found that out in market research, even multi million dollar corporations, right? Um, I have learned a lot in that area. I would say hiring a really good uh, human capital protector person, a human capital, um, like a human resource person, but that also um, really understands business and business operations so that they can not only put people in place that are really good, that have really good hard skills and skill sets, right? But also have the personality and the soft skills to mesh with their team. That's Mm -hmm. super important. People get hired 100% of the time for their hard skills. They get terminated 
nearly 100% of the time for their soft skills. Hmm. You know, yeah. just things like manners or, you know, <clears throat> getting along well with others or things like that. Um, and getting them productive right away and training them and keeping them productive. One thing I found is that people want to work. Mm. People have high morale when they're productive, when they're achieving things, and they don't respect managers or groups that pander to them or don't make them produce. People really naturally, uh, the majority of us are achievers. They want to get things done. And if you put them in a position and get them to produce and push them to produce and make them successful at it by giving them the tools, they will be so loyal. They will fight for you. They will uh, do their job to the best of their ability, right? And you have to have someone that's willing to be over those people, right? And just help them do that and then reward them when they do well. Mm. Um, so I've learned that by, you know, just trial and error and learning. Um, but to me, you really have to have someone that, really takes care of your people. Mm. In the early years, when you first started hiring, did you have a clear sense of what it was going to take? I often see with my clients and really in my, in my experience in previous places that we underestimate how much effort it takes on our part, how much time it takes to properly onboard a new staff person. Yes. So what was the question? Uh, I guess just, did you see that? And then how were you able, maybe in those early years, to start to overcome some of those, those challenges of, uh, of underestimating the effort it was going to take? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, as a business owner, you know, you're, we get to this thing about making it go right again. I mean, you have to make it go right. Is it? Many times when problems roll up to you, you're the lot, like the buck stops there. I mean, you have to solve it or not, right? Mm -hmm. And that makes us uh, very um, just ingenious sometimes in solving problems because we have to, right? Um, and I learned long ago how exhausting it was when I was solving everybody's problems. So I quit. <laughs> and I would never... <laughs> I would never let anybody bring me a problem. They always had to bring me a solution. Um, because sometimes I would make mistakes because I wasn't on the front lines and they mm. didn't give me enough data or I just would take it over for them, which you know didn't empower them. And then making them come with solutions, not only with solutions, but they had to almost attest, swear, like, this is the greatest, this is the best solution for the situation. I will take responsibility if it doesn't go well. Mm. That made them be a manager of their own work. Mm. Um, it, honestly, it was just, it was selfish on my part because I was just getting exhausted. <laughs> but it really caused them to stop and think and have judgment. And the, I think the biggest problem even my directors today have we're always having to train it into the staff is don't let anybody bring you a problem. Make them bring you the solution to the problem. It may not be the right solution, but at least they thought about it, yep. you know? Um, and that is something that I always, we always, we, all of us have to use self-discipline. 
um, because your natural tendency is just to solve it. Mm. So true. But it was overworking uh, me. So mm. I learned that again. Great <laughs> <laughs> right. advice. Do you make a conscious effort to hire women? Um, I would say no. Mm-hmm. But we do have women that get attracted to us because we are a woman-owned business. Sure. Uh, we're an equal opportunity employer. We go by the skill set of the person. We tend to have a lot of diversity. I think that's just my industry. Um, but it really is who gets attracted to us. Um, so I think we have more women because of that. Sure. And so here's another question on that same um, vein, how do you amplify or advocate for other women in your sector? Um, you know, like in my PR industry or just women in, in business in, in general? general? Yeah. I, um, well, I mean, I do, um, well, let me back up. I, <laughs> did I ever tell you this story? I was asked by one of the chambers in the area to help establish a women's group. No. Did I ever tell you? And I thought, you know, I really don't want to do that, you know, because um, I th- thought I didn't have time and I thought I didn't know what it would be like. Um, but they convinced me. And so we did market research in this particular area and found out that women really wanted tools to succeed in business. They wanted um, education. They wanted not necessarily mentorship, they wanted to mentor as well, but they really wanted tools to be successful, right? So we started this women's group, we were very successful, um, and I became empowered by these other women. And I had never really experienced that before. My mentors were all men Mm -hmm. before that, and I was so focused on my business. that, you know, since then, I've agreed to do podcasts like this and, you know, do panel discussions and, you know, volunteer and help. And then um, in our business, the women that come to us to be hired, one of the main things that they say that they want is they want to be mentored. So we started, you know, this was something that was so new to me. I didn't know, I didn't realize this. Um, so we started these in services that um, even I even have the other women in the firm, you know, on their particular skill or expertise, mentor others, uh, you know, in the firm on it. But I do it as well on business leadership and things like that. So, you know, I would, I would say I try to foster women, but it really kind of just landed on my plate again. And I got so much fulfillment from it. I really like, God, women are kick ass. Right? <laughs> you know? yeah. I was so internalized into the business, yeah. you know, or getting things done that I didn't realize that. But it just sort of naturally progressed. And I really didn't want it at first. I didn't want that hat. I didn't want that role. Mm-hmm. Um, but somebody told me, you know, you're, you're going to have to accept it because people want it. And so... So it's, it's just an accidental thing. It's very accidental, but I do love it. Amazing. Listen, I'm going to take us to break. And when we come back, we'll continue answering listeners' questions.
Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to Sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. I'm here with Carla Jo Helms, and we are answering listener questions. So the next uh, question, Carla Jo, it, again, it's, it's kind of a, a great question for you because it comes from someone else who is in the marketing space. And so what they're asking is, is it better to focus, um, you know, what does specialization look like in marketing? Is it better to focus on a particular sector or better to stay broad? Um, well, I think that, I don't think that's an easy question. God, these are great questions. I don't think that's an easy question to answer. I know some people would say it's great to specialize. I know some people say that it's better to be broad. Um, if you do have a, a really particular specialty that you're really good at, um, I think it all comes down to the market, how big the market is. Um, you know, you have to market very targeted but broadly uh, in order to have a sustained lead funnel that comes to you. If that specialty, if that niche is so small that your business is a numbers game, that you won't be able to get enough leads and sales you know, to, you know, reach your goals, then you'll want to branch out, yeah. you know, more. And then you can be overly um, big where it just, you can't be everything to everyone. Yeah. So the way I've always figured that out is <clears throat> what do we do really well? Who does it really help? And then what other target audiences can we, you know, expand into? Um, so, I mean, I have clients that do, you know, very specific specialties, but they're either the, um, the sale price is very high to sustain it, right? Um, or the contracts are so long, right? Mm -hmm. That it doesn't, um, you know, that it works for them. This is another great question. I have to. Do you think that was too broad? Was that too broad of an answer? No, I don't think so. We can. Okay. If we need, to, we, we can. Um, let's see how I we. Mean, I really just looked at what the market would bear. What will the market bear? Yeah, I think uh, that's sometimes a you have a, an ideal scene in your mind, right? 
But then when you get out there in business and you start looking at, you know, will that price, will the market bear the price? Will it, you know, the service, what do they really want? That comes with figuring it out as you go along and then realizing, oh, this other market is good too. So I, I, I don't know if you can really, I haven't been able to figure that out. Like, Right off the bat, that's mm -hmm. how I yeah fair enough. figured it out. So here's another one: in a world where there seems to be experts everywhere, how do you rise above, stand apart, and build trust with your clients? Mm. Uh, again, a great question. We're overloaded with influencers and experts and this and that. Um, I would say be very genuine. Uh, and very real, and um, impart information that will really help your clients succeed, um, and be that voice for them, that continuous voice. Get the exposure on the line of what you're really good at. Don't try to be something that you're not. Mm. Stay in your lane. When you stay in your lane and you can be, you have, people have some wealth of information because they've been doing something for so long, right? Um, give that knowledge away. Do it in a way that, you know, on your blog, on LinkedIn, on videos, things that will get you exposure, but stay in your lane and people will recognize your, um, not only your generosity, but how genuine you are. If you try to be something that you're not, they will recognize that too. And that is the easiest way to lose trust. Mm, yeah, that's really great advice. So another question, which I think is really great because it dovetails on what we were talking about just before break. Do you use any specific apps, programs, etc., cetera, um, to automate your processes? Uh, business processes, finance processes, marketing or whatever. Um, we, treat, we try not to be too, I mean, we're all virtual, mm -hmm. right? So we're all cloud, we, we always have been. Um, so we do use technology quite a bit, but we try not to be over heavy on it because you can just, there's so many new things that come out, especially marketing, you know, the MarTech. There's so many things that come out, but you, you don't really use all of it. You just use a tiny bit of it, right? So um, for instance, we moved over from Infusionsoft to HubSpot. Mm -hmm. And HubSpot is very robust. It has lots of tools. Uh, lots of bells and whistles and um, you know we're really making sure that we do a deep dive and use all those capabilities right um, you know same thing for you know other parts of our business like um, Dropbox you know for sharing folders or Microsoft uh, SharePoint for uh, storing things right storing files um, you know, we use cloud-based systems to track statistics, you know, put up our organizing chart, but we keep, we limit it uh, so that we're just not inundated by tech apps, right? And we really use what we have. Mm. So, yeah. It's hard to list some of them. Well, <laughs> I mean, HubSpot hard. is one. I really think HubSpot's amazing. Shout out to them. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I used to use HubSpot um, at another place I worked. It's hard to avoid the shiny object syndrome, right? Like when there's a new app or a new this or a new that, and you just think, oh, that's going to solve all of my problems. Um, and yet again, 
we often underestimate how much time it's going to take to do that transfer or to adopt a new program. And like you say, sometimes we've already got something that is, 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 can do what we're looking for. Yeah. No, that's very true. Um, we were in that shiny object phase years ago. And then we really started to pare it down. Number one, because, uh, you know, those monthly fees, those subscription fees really add up, right? Number two, what were we really using? Number three, uh, it just became junked up. And, you know, I have a client in the data, in the data field, um, data field for B2B marketing, and he really uh, emphasizes keeping your tech stack um, lean but robust. You know, use the heck out of the things that you have and don't keep adding all the shiny objects um, because it's one of the things that wastes your life away. Technology doesn't always bring about more efficiency. Sometimes it brings about less efficiency because you're trying to figure out how to use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so true, so true. Okay, so now um, some questions around pricing. So how do you, just in terms of that, how do you decide when to raise your prices and how do you overcome that fear that you're going to lose all your business? That's a good point. Um, raising prices don't always mean you're going to lose business. Um, it actually can increase business because some people, um, if your prices are considered too low mm. based off of what the market will bear, they'll think that it's not good enough. Um, so you really have to look at several things. What the market will bear, that's based on market research. Look at you know, competitors, look at what's being charged. Also look at what's going to um, you know, allow you to pay your cost of goods, your marketing, you know, your payroll, um, and even have, you know, a good profit. Not an exorbitant profit, but a good profit to help you expand. And then compare that with, um, you know, what will the market bear? And then, you know, look at your clientele. Um, maybe uh, there are certain services that a clientele can um, only pay a certain amount, but if you raised your prices, it would actually open the door to a higher clientele, right? Um, so you have to really look at all of that. It's good to have a good finance person to help you. Um, again, that's where um, getting mentored in the chamber can really help because they do have those people there. Um, and then when you raise your prices, market. Market the heck out of it. Market to your existing clientele about why you have, and then do a marketing campaign to educate them and to entice them to, uh, you know, stay with you, right? That's where your expertise comes in. But anytime you make a change like that, just market the heck out of it because that will actually buy you, uh, you know, actually more business. Um, a lot of times we change our processes and we get things all ironed out, but we we fail to market and marketing is what gives us the margin and the ability to make those changes without getting hurt because change always brings about some sort of confusion and things happen, right? If you market the heck out of it, um, it'll actually help you go through those transitions much smoother. 
Hmm. That's great advice. I love that. And you know, it's interesting, just when you're saying market to your existing clients, I think that's something that we sometimes forget about, that we need to, or we can, or we should market to our existing clients. Yes. Yeah, even if it's just, you know, we were talking about being very real and how do you be an expert, they're already with you because they like and trust you and think you're an expert in what you do. So continue to remind them, you know, uh, educate them on, you know, what's happening in the industry or a new change that's happened or why they need something or why you do things a certain way. That could be for new people too, but your existing clients are already your dedicated audience. Yeah, yeah, so true. Um, let's see. What is my next question? Uh, we, What's we your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite color? <laughs> um, confidence. So uh, one woman sent in a question that says, does confidence grow as your business gr- grows? Or are there things that throw you off still? And how do you deal with it? Yes, confidence grows as your business grows. Um, it also can, and I've seen this with uh, my friends and others, you know, sometimes you have more to lose mm. the more successful you get. And so that can bring its own challenges, right? Um, I was always taught uh, as a performer, like, you know, as a, a dance uh, major in, uh, you know, school, before I went into PR and um, also in PR, you know, you never let them see you sweat. You know, um, sometimes you just have to swallow (laughs) that uh, I'm scared to death thing and just act like you know what you're doing. Um, It does follow. And especially when you're a leader, you know, leaders are expected to know everything, right? Um, it's so true. Really- I had this experience a few years ago um, when I, you know, was leading this huge project and there was all this crazy stuff going on behind the scenes. Like it was just a gong show. And I was complaining to one of my friends who's a very successful business person. And, you know, she was just so casual in her, well, now you know you've made it, right? Like, this is how you know, is when you're smiling, not letting them see you sweat, and you got the duck feet going on, like, all this stuff behind the scenes that you got to figure out. So I think there's a little bit of that of recognizing that confidence does build, and there are those times when we, we just have to do it. And in the doing it, when you don't feel confident is what actually builds your confidence. Yes. Yes, you're exactly right. It's so ironic, isn't it? Mm. There's so many things that are ironic in life. Yeah, <laughs> That's one of them. It is. I always, I, I, I like I think confidence, I used to say that my job is flexible except when it's not. And I feel kind of the same way about confidence. Like, I'm confident except when I'm not. Yeah. That's so true. Oh, that's a really good social media post, isn't it? Okay, I'll, I'll post that later. Um, do it. Do yeah. it. Um, you know, my chief PR advisor uh, over sales, he has a great video that he watches and has his team watch. It's from a Marine, a Marine. 
I wish I knew the name of it. Um, and the Marine who is now uh, advising others and so forth would tell his guys when they would run into problems, right, uh, in situations, dire situations, and they would come to him with a, an issue, he would always say, good. Mm. And, and they would be like, what are you talking about? He goes, it means you're alive. It means that you, the universe has allowed you to solve this particular problem. You've been given this challenge. You have this opportunity. Someone else is dead that doesn't have it, right? So good. So anytime something challenging came your way, it meant you were alive. And um, it actually is a really good life lesson. It's like, I have this problem handled. Good. Yeah. I can do this. Amazing. You know what? That is the best place to, to end. We, this um, episode has gone by so quickly. Um, so I do want to say thank you for your time, Carla Jo. This has been so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And I, it's like a therapy session for me with you. You always, <laughs> you always ask the best questions. Thank you for your listeners that I asked those questions this yeah, time. It was fun. Uh, so listeners, um, keep sending in questions. This was super fun. And when you have a chance, um, Go to iTunes and leave a review. Someone did that in January, and it just made me so happy. Uh, so I would love for you to, to share if you're enjoying the show. And in the meantime, I hope you'll be back next week to join me again on Breakthrough. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.